All right, so open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 21. We're continuing our study through the book of Joshua. We have a, a couple chapters this evening that we'll be covering. And um, so, so let's just begin by, by reading. Um, Joshua chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge. Oh, no, that's 20. Sorry. <laughs> we already got past that. What translation do you have? <laughs> it does, both, they both start off with then, so. Chapter 21. Verse 1. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh, in the land of Canaan, The Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in, along with their pasture lands, for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. So we start off our section of study this evening, um, seeing how it is that all the, all the tribes up to this point, including Joshua, had received um, the allotment of their land. And this was all west of the Jordan, uh, going into the promised land on the side of Jericho, Ai, and you know everything that we've gone through. All right, so they've received all of their portions of their land, except for the Levites. Except for the Levites. So they came to Eliezer the priest and to Joshua and the heads of the tribes and asked for what God had commanded through Moses to give to them. You know, it's, uh, this is what the Lord had said. And we stand as at this point, we don't have anywhere to go. And, uh, and so they came and they asked what had been commanded in what had been promised to them by the Lord. The land that they were given, um, all of this land was to be located on the, in the outskirts of the cities that were already portioned out, that were already given to the rest of the tribes. So just, just know that the Levites were the priests who served the Lord. And it's for, the reason, for that reason that they had to have these pasture lands and uh, places for the cattle to graze. Um, those that were raised um, for sacrifices before the Lord. And so that's what they had in the outskirts of these cities. Remember, God was their portion, though. They were not given allotments of land like the rest of the tribes, but theirs was a special portion, the service of God. That's a special portion. Uh, he was their inheritance. In Joshua chapter 13, verse 14, it says, To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, God of Israel, are their inheritance, as he said to him. And in Joshua, same chapter, chapter 13, verse 34, it says, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. I was thinking about those two verses and, and how it is that uh, both in, in both verses, um, really their portion is the Lord. But if you notice back in chapter 14, it says the offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance. And it's the very service that they're offering to the Lord is, is um, really something that is identified with the Lord, and he himself is there being ministered to by these priests, and it's wonderful. If you, I remember the first time that I started serving the Lord, how I knew at that point I was doing the right thing, 
And there was no way, up to this point, I can't think of anything that brings more joy and more fulfillment and more satisfaction um, than just simply serving the Lord. It doesn't uh, matter how much you sacrifice, it's never enough. Um, No matter what you go through uh, in the midst of serving the Lord, it really doesn't matter because your portion truly is the Lord. And and for us as New Testament believers, um, there is no sacrifice too big. There is nothing that we can do to outgive the Lord. And as we serve the Lord, just know that He is already our portion. And so that's where we should receive our joy. We should serve Him with great joy in our hearts, really as a response to the love that He's already demonstrated to us. And so we serve Him with great joy, no matter what comes our way. So it is with the, with the Levites. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as He said to them. So the following is where the Lord assigned the Levites by clans. And we're going to read through uh, this, this uh, section of Scripture Uh, And this is verses 4 through 42. So let's begin. The law came out of the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron, the priests received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin, 13 cities. And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan and the half-tribe of Manasseh, 10 cities. The Gershonites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh, in Bashan, 13 cities. The Merorites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, 12 cities. These cities and their pasture lands, the people of Israel, gave by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and, out of the, uh, and the tribe of the people of Simeon, remember that Simeon was within Judah, You remember as we took a look at the map how it was that they were together. So, uh, verse 9, Out of the tribe of the people of Judah and the tribe of the people of Simeon, they gave the following cities mentioned by name, which went to the descendants of Aaron, one of the clans of the Kohathites who belonged to the people of Levi. Since the lot fell to them first, they gave them Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, along with the pasturelands around it. But the fields of the city and its villages had been given to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. Verse 13. And to the descendants of Aaron, the priests, they gave Hebron, the city of refuge, for the manslayer with its pasture lands. Libna with its pasture lands. Jatir with its pasture lands. Eshtemoah with its pasture lands. Holland with its pasture lands. Debir with its pasture lands. Ain with its pasture lands. Judah with its pasturelands, Beth Shemesh with its pasturelands, nine cities out of these two tribes. Then out of the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its pasturelands, Geba with its pasturelands, Anathoth with its pasturelands, Almon with its pasturelands, four cities, the cities of the descendants of Aaron, the priests were in all 13 cities with their pasturelands. As to the rest of the Kohathites, belonging to the Kohathite clans of the Levites, the cities allotted to them were out of the tribe of Ephraim. To them were given Shechem, the city of refuge for the manslayer, with its pasturelands, in the hill country of Ephraim. Gezer, with its pasturelands. Kibzaim, with its pasturelands. Beth Haran, with its pasturelands. Four cities, and out of the tribe of Dan, Elteki, with its pasturelands. Gibbethon, with its pasturelands. Aijalon, with its pasturelands. 
Gath-Rimon with its pasturelands, four cities, and out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with its pasturelands, and Gath-Rimon with its pasturelands, two cities. The cities of the clans of the rest of the Kohathites were ten in all with their pasturelands. And to the Gershonites, one of the clans of the Levites were given out of the half-tribe of Manasseh, Golan and Bashan with its pasturelands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, and Bishterah with its pasturelands, two cities, and out of the tribe of Issachar, Kishion, with its pasturelands, Dabareth, with its pasturelands, Jarmuth, with its pasturelands, and Ganaim, with its pasturelands, four cities, and out of the tribe of Asher, Mishal, with its pasturelands, Abdon, with its pasturelands, Helkath, with its pasturelands, and Rehob, with its pasturelands, four cities, and out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh, and Galilee, with its pasturelands, the city of refuge for the manslayer, Hamathor with its pasturelands, and Kartan with its pasturelands. Three cities, the cities of the several clans of the Gershonites, were in all thirteen cities with their pasturelands. Verse 34, And to the rest of the Levites, the Merorite clans were given out of the tribe of Zebulun. Jochniam with its pasturelands, Karta with its pasturelands, Dimna with its pasturelands, Nalal with its pasturelands, four cities, and out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer, with its pasturelands, Jahaz with its pasturelands, Hedemoth with its pasturelands, and uh, Mephath with its pasturelands. Four cities, and out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth, and Gilead with its pasturelands, the city of refuge for the manslayer. Manaim with its pasturelands, Heshbon with its pasturelands, Jazer with its pasturelands, four cities in all. As for the cities of the several Amorite clans, that is the remainder of the clans of the Levites, those allotted to them were in all twelve cities. The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasturelands. These cities each had its pasturelands around it. So it was with all these cities. If you were the Levites, you would be excited about what we just read because it was the distribution, the allotment of the lands, uh, all of the cities, every single one of them. It was allotted to them, 48 cities in all. And in reading this, you get the sense that the Lord had spread the Levites throughout um, the promised land. It wasn't just in one section that he put them all. We're going to have you located in the middle of the the country. He didn't do that. He spread, spread them out throughout all of the tribes. And this is very important because this means that they were accessible by all the people. They were in the midst of all the people. They were accessible to all the people. They were in the midst of all the people. That's really important to have people like this in the midst of God's people, accessible to the people. I find it fascinating that it was the Lord. It was by lot, right? But it's pretty interesting. I think it's fascinating that he did this. The Lord did this. As, as they cast lots, it, it's, it's just, it just interests me how it was that he spread them out throughout the whole land. Again, he never centralized them. And he has not centralized you, me. He hasn't done that. He hasn't taken us and saved us and then put us in this Christian town. He hasn't done that. Right, He has us spread throughout, well, this area here, the Inland Empire. He has us spread out throughout 
Southern California, throughout California, throughout the United States, and throughout the world. He has his people throughout the world. And we are considered both light, but we're considered something else. You know what that is? It's in the same section of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5. Salt. Salt, too. Pretty interesting. Light exposes, salt preserves. And so it is with the gospel. Since in these earthen vessels we have this treasure, uh, this treasure is the very gospel of the Lord. And we carry that wherever we go. To some, we are an aroma of death. To others, Oh, we're a beautiful aroma of eternal life, God's grace and His love. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being, being saved, it is the power of God. Right? And so it is with us that we carry within us even this preserving agent for the world. That as we go and proclaim the gospel to others, we too act as a source of light, the light that's within us, as we speak truth and as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ to others in this dark world. We also serve as that preserving agent as the Holy Spirit indwells us and we also share the gospel of Jesus Christ that others may know forgiveness of their sins, God's grace as truly a gift and they know eternal life through Jesus Christ. But we're spread throughout and it's for that purpose that we may go to the ends of the earth and continue to proclaim the good news. And so, even back at this point, as we take a look at all of the tribes and the lands that were allotted to them, and how it is that here, as, as the Levites had asked for that which was commanded by the Lord through Moses, and they were given the different areas in which they were to settle, we see just this spreading of those who are serving the Lord, that the land may truly be uh, preserved in that the word of God, God's light, that light would be shown throughout the land. And that's what we have. In fact, um, since we had mentioned it, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And starting in verse six, uh, 13. So Matthew five thirteen. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so it is with you and I. I ask that you would consider what 
what I say to you at this moment, and, and that is that we are not ever, as Christians, in this lifetime, allow ourselves to be put under a basket or to be tra- trampled underfoot. You know, that which we have is to be given away. And, and just as I start, and I, and I emphasize, and that's my emphasis, right? In verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth. And in verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. You, you are light to the world. Um, to those around you, there shouldn't, they shouldn't look at you and, and see darkness. They should look at you and see light. They should look at you and see also this preserving agent, the gospel, the good news. They should draw from you. And that's what the world should do as they look to you. Also in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Verse 14. Let's start there. The Apostle Paul writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Again, we ought to be heralds. We ought to be ambassadors. We ought to be those disciples who follow that great commission and go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Right? We ought to go out. The Levites were there to shed light on the Lord and His Word before the people and serve as the very agents that would stand in the gap before God on behalf of the people and represent God to the people. That was a pretty important role to play, wouldn't you say? And so God was truly their portion, but they were given um, their portion of the work to serve Him throughout the Promised Land, that which God had allotted to each tribe. So let's go on and, and finish up this chapter as we go back to Joshua chapter 21, verse 43. It says, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. (laughs) Yes, amen. Amen and amen. So, this last portion, kind of wrapping things up for what we have in this, this chapter. God provided all the land for them that He had promised and they took possession of it. God also provided the Israelites with rest just as He had promised. God had provided Joshua with a promise back in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, which says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And so it was here, as they now possessed the land, that truly everything that the Lord had told them came to pass. There wasn't a man that was able to stand before them. Not one. There wasn't one enemy. 
that stood before them all fell. Not one, not one. If even one man was able to stand before them, then his word would not be true. But not one. Just remember that God is faithful. Not 99.999% of the time. God is faithful 100% of the time. Always has been, always will. Oh, how often we need to be reminded of that. This week, have, have you had need of that? I, I often have to be reminded of that. Oh, God, you're faithful. Oh, you'll get us through this. Just when we start having anxiety, worry, sinful concern. Because we try and justify everything, right? You know, you know what it is? No matter what you call it, it's trying to do things in your own strength. That's what it is. It, when you start really worrying and getting over, concerned to the point to where you're taking it out of the Lord's hands. That's just, it's sinful. You don't, you don't trust Him. You, you're having a, it's a moment of doubt. We all need to be reminded of the fact that the Lord is 100% faithful. He will see us through. Period. That's it. The failure to come to know God's promises are, is, is not because he's unfaithful. Never. But because we are unfaithful and compromising with doubt or unbelief or we're impatient. How many times have we been caught being impatient? Right? It's just not in our time. I want it now. The Lord says, no, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on me. I'll see you through. Sometimes as we ask, the answer is, are you ready? No. It's like sometimes as, as kids, right? Well, if I just keep asking, right? If, if I'm like that persistent widow. How many of you have, have like actually commented about the persistent widow and said, well, if I just ask like, like the persistent widow then I'm going to get my way, right? Sometimes it's just no. It doesn't matter how many times you ask. It's just no. And then we get, we, we get overwhelmed. But it's hard to hear no, and it's hard to hear wait. <laughs> Not now, right? And sometimes he says, yes, come on through. This is truly my will. If we, if we learn to pray as he taught his disciples to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we just truly just wait on him and we're seeking his will. As it's been ordained in heaven, so may it be on earth. And so we walk in, in his truth and his will. And that's it. But the reason why... Sometimes we think he's failing us is because we're just failing. We're failing to, to truly and fully trust in him and have faith that his will is truly perfect. 
If the Israelites failed to possess the land God had promised them, it was not because he failed to deliver, but because they failed to follow through on taking possession and dwelling in the promised land because he had already given it to them. Remember, we, we've already talked about uh, at least one situation where they had already gone through and conquered, and then they had to go back and reconquer. I mean, we need to do that with our lives. There's certain areas that we've kind of let up, we've, we've abandoned, and we've got to come back to and re- reconquer. You know, Lord, please help me take care of this area in my life once more that I've compromised in. Help me. But it's not because he's faithless, it's because we're faithless. And again, so it is with us. The reason why we don't live in peace and with great confidence in the Lord is because we are unfaithful, compromising and living with doubt and unbelief. Not because of him, but because of us. It's because of us. So let's continue. We're now in chapter 22, verse 1. Yes. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. been seven years it's been seven years that Israel had entered the promised land and taken possession of it seven years that the tribes of Reuben Gad and half tribe of Manasseh have been with Joshua helping the other tribes secure the land west of the Jordan before arriving at this very moment in Shiloh Joshua commending them for being faithful obedient in coming alongside their brothers and being men of their word and telling them, well done. Go back to your tents, to the land that you were given by Moses east of the Jordan. So we see here Joshua commends them for their obedience, for not forsaking their brothers and having kept the Lord's command. That's something worthy to be commended of. I mean, you can be encouraged by many words, but those are, above all, by far, the best words that can be said of you. Well done. You are an encouragement to me. Why? Because you've been obedient to the Lord. You have come alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have fulfilled the commandment of the Lord. Thank you. Go in peace. May the Lord continue to bless you. That's what you want to hear. Why? Because the Lord receives the glory in that. He gets blessed. It's like a son or a daughter. Oh, the glory of his father, his mother. If he himself 
is an honorable child, being obedient, faithful, serving, following through. Oh, it brings glory to the parents, doesn't it? The crown of he or she is, is the, the crown of their parents. It's just beautiful. And so he commends, men, he commends them for, for this. And everything's been accomplished. It was time for these tribes to return to their land. And so Joshua blessed them and he sent them away. But Joshua didn't send them away without exhorting them to make sure that they were very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them. Yeah, I, I send you away. I commend you for your obedience and for not forsaking your brethren and for following through with what the Lord had commanded you. But just because you're going back to your tents, your land, that which was given to you, don't forget this. And how to do this is very important. Number one, to love the Lord your God. To love in this manner is to do so in a sacrificial and selfless way. We ought to always begin by saying, Your will be done, not mine. May it be done on earth as it's been willed in heaven. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's how we demonstrate our love toward Him. We love Him as we're obedient to Him. But we need to know what we're being obedient to. It's not just this, okay, I'm going to demonstrate my love by, by these, these uh, deep feelings that I have, by um, singing all the time. It's like, well, singing and praising God should be an outward expression of something that we know internally, right? But we, we, we love in a prescribed manner, and it's been laid out by being obedient to Him. And that is being obedient to his word and following through. He also talks about walking, living life, to walk in all his ways. His ways, not my ways, not your ways, not the world's ways. But walk in his ways. Follow, not your heart, but God's ways, regardless of how you feel about it. Just trust him and follow. There are moments in our lives when we want to walk in our own way, on our own path. And yet we are confronted with the word of God. It's at that moment that we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and allow him to truly govern our lives. That again, we may deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow the Lord. It's this everyday, conscientious, deliberate act of our will that we need to exercise. Why? Because we love him above all else. We love him. And so we do. So that is the way we walk. And that's what Joshua is telling them. You need to love the Lord your God. You need to walk in all His ways. You need to keep His commandments also. You can't keep or adhere to what you don't know. What does God require of us? Too many Christians are ignorant of what God requires of us. Too many. There's biblical illiteracy. A lot of Christians, they, they know the, the general stories of the Bible, but they don't know the specifics, like the doctrines. Like, for instance, our foundations class is just the basics of our faith. You know, if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you should know those things well, because they're, they're foundational. They're the basics. 
but we ought to be students of the Word of God and know truly what God requires of us so that we can keep His commandments. We can follow them. Not out of duty, not towards salvation, but because of salvation, because of God's grace, because of His love and His forgiveness of our sins, because we have the hope of heaven in Christ, not our works, but by grace. So we need to read His Word and then know what His standard is for our lives. And then Joshua also tells them to cling to Him. He, he stands eternally and is faithful and righteous. He can be clung to because he will never fail us. He is trustworthy. You, you can cling, to him, cling on to him and trust him and lean on him and allow him to carry you without any hesitation whatsoever, knowing that he's taking you on the right path. And so Joshua gives them these words of encouragement. Cling to him. Trust him. Cling to him. Follow him. Keep his Word. But he also says to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Like your whole being. It's with everything. Serve him. Serve him and no other. Serve him and not yourself. Serve him and not someone else. And do it with a joyful heart, doing so as a response to his grace and forgiveness, his imputed righteousness, and the sacrifice of his son on our behalf. Just like if you consider all of those things, you will truly serve him with all of your soul, with all of your heart, with all of your might, you will serve him. Once you truly understand and grasp this, and, and, and you think about it often. If you hear and do without love, when you go through the motions and you adhere to the law, the word, do you know what that leads to? It leads to legalism. At the same time, if you love without knowledge, without understanding, what that leads to is heresy. Because you're doing it in a way that really you have no idea. And don't we see that both of those today in various forms throughout the church? Just open your, just open your eyes a little bit. <laughs> just just a, a little bit and you'll see both. You'll see legalism and you'll see the heresy of just loving any which way we want. We need to pay attention Church, we cannot fall asleep. We, we cannot. We, we can't afford to. Because if we're deceived, just know that some people are looking at us. If we're deceived in these areas, if we do not, if you just take a look at these few verses that the Lord is, is the instructions that he's, that, that he's giving to uh, Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh, heed them today. And as you follow this out, you'll see the importance, how critical it is to know the Word of God, to know how to love, to know how to keep, to know how to serve. You need to know those, those ways in which we ought to do that. Because other people are watching and they'll be encouraged. We ought to be doing it in the right way.
Otherwise, we're leading them astray. We're leading them in a direction that is not to the Lord. It's to something else. In fact, we're going to see how, how it is that the Israelites at this point were very bold and very confident and very strong in the Lord and how they confronted something that um, they perceived as being a defilement of the land in a few moments. So after this, um, Joshua said, uh, after Joshua went through and he said all of this, he blessed them and he sent them away to their tents on the other side of the Jordan. And then we continue verse 7. It says, Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, half, other half Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. So, we see here, Joshua sent them away, and they had much wealth. They had come to fight alongside their brothers, the rest of the tribes. Uh, but when all was, was said and done, seven years later, they had a lot of wealth. Gold, silver, bronze, I mean, all of this. They took back uh, with them. The Lord had truly blessed them as they made good on their word. Seven years of fighting side by side, and now they're returning to their tribes. Such a sweet moment for everyone. I'm sure it was bittersweet in that they were leaving those uh, that they fought shoulder to shoulder with, and at the same time, they're going back to their families. But seven years, they gave their word. And it wasn't until the work was fulfilled that now, and then Joshua told them, had to tell them. It wasn't like, they were done. Hey, listen, you've divvied up all the land. Uh, everyone has their place. The Levites, you, you gave them that to Joshua. You have your place. Caleb has his place. You know, everybody has their place. You know, say, Levy, we're, we're out. No, they waited. They waited. They waited for the commander. They had to tell them, good job. Go on. You've done well. And it was a sweet moment. It's at that time that they, were, that they were dismissed. What an amazing picture of receiving the rest that God had promised to. Because as we see there, we see this, how it is that, that they had rest on all sides. Isn't that wonderful? God had promised that. They, they had rest. They, they didn't, they, they, at that point, they were not battling anyone. They had taken possession of the land that the Lord had given them. And just a sweet picture. And again, just as the Lord had promised. And then we continue, continue because things start taking a turn. Verse 10. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, And behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan, and the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war 
against them. <laughs> Didn't last long. This altar wasn't something small. Imposing size, it was huge. It was like um, super-sized, you know, just ginormous. It was impressively large. But an altar is normally something that is used to worship, to sacrifice upon. And that's what they had built. And it wasn't on their side. It, it was, they, they still hadn't crossed the Jordan. It was, it was west of the Jordan. It was, in, as they said, Israel's side. It, it was on, on this side. You hadn't even gotten to your own side, guys. You're already building an altar. And, and it was interesting why it was that the Israelites assembled so quickly. They feared that the reason the two and a half tribes built the altar was to worship pagan gods. That's what they were concerned about. Or, or at the very least, to vow allegiance to them. So they quickly assembled at Shiloh to come up against them. Because they were thinking that they, they were about to defile the land. I just had to think about that for a moment. Wow, what, what an awesome display of a body of believers that are ready to confront and deal with anything that would defile the people of God. You guys like, you guys like dogs? Hopefully you all like dogs, not cats, right? <laughs> cats are evil. <laughs> well, they're good for a few things, but... No. No, I, I, like, I like cats, just other people's cats. No, but, but dogs, right? I like, I like dogs. Dogs are great. They're great companions and all of that. But those dogs that are ready to defend at any given moment, right? Who are there. They're, they're ready to defend. Um, I, love, I love my brothers and sisters who are ready to defend, side by side, just let's move forward and let's do this thing. Um, they're not ones to shirk back and draw back from any kind of confrontation. They're ready to move forward and do battle. I love that. Just battle ready. Just let's do this thing. I love that. I've always loved to uh, be a part of a group of people that are willing to roll up their sleeves and get to work. I think, I think it really does go back to the way in which I, I, what I was exposed to in my days in the military, in the Navy. Because I, um, I realized what it was to go beyond what you thought was possible. To be around a bunch of guys that were ready to do what other people thought was impossible. It's amazing you, you did that. No, not really. Not when, you, when you're fully committed and given to something and believe that you can. And know that now as I look back, I think the Lord, the Lord got me through. Definitely, right? But I love being around a bunch of brothers and sisters who are just ready to go. Now. When? Now. Let's go. Let's do this. 
And this is what I see here. I see here all these tribes west of the Jordan, these two and a half tribes, how dare they? They just built an altar west of the Jordan. They're about to sacrifice to pagan gods. Let's assemble now in Shiloh and go and confront them. Let's go. Let's do it. I don't see anyone thinking twice about it. Do you? Nothing. It was done. I, I don't fear. No one feared offending them. Simeon, you okay with this? Yeah, absolutely, let's go. Reuben, you okay? Yeah, Zebulun? Yeah, Asher, let's go. All of them. We should be ready to do that within the church. Standing guard and ready to purge what is a defilement to the Lord and His people. Always. Without hesitation. Let's go and confront. But we need to learn how to confront them. That we do need to learn. Verse 13, this is what we're about to learn. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and within him, with, uh, with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of, the, of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against God, the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things, and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel. And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. A strong confrontation, no? Strong. Consider these things. Think about this, guys. Two and a half tribes, they're confronted very strongly by Eliezer and these ten heads of the tribes. God had commanded worship in the place that he set aside, and not just anywhere, nor in the high places where it was common for pagan worship to take place. Not just anywhere. This is why the tribes were so concerned and so readily confronted these tribes when they erected an altar in another place other than the place that was prescribed by the Lord. We as Christians today, I don't know, it seems like, again, just real quick, we, we think we can worship in any way we want. But we're called to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. In spirit, yes. But in truth also, it, it, there's two pieces to that. In spirit and in truth. In truth, what is truth? What is truth? That, that one portion of the movie, you can't handle the truth, right? 
it's like it seems like the church it's like we've gotten so I don't know secularized that we can't even handle the truth no we need to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth according to his word and in the spirit and no other way Phineas and the tribal leaders were concerned that they had turned away from the God of Israel and rebelled by building this altar. For instance, Peor. Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh. Consider this. Remember Peor? When, when there was sin in, within the Israelites and there were sexual encounters with the Moabite women and, and then they gave themselves to worshiping the Moabite gods. How many of us fell? 24,000. Reuben, Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, think about this. It costs us 24,000 of our own. Phineas knew that God's judgment would impact everyone, not just them. So it is with, this, with sin. Always. It, it doesn't just impact the one committing the sin, but many others end up being collateral damage because of their proximity or association. Phineas offered them even to return. This is, this is a lesson for us in, in confrontation. Okay? Phineas offered for them to re- return. If, it's, if that land is defiled, hey, listen, we'll make room for you guys. Come back west of the Jordan and we'll make room. In other words, Phineas was offering for the rest of the tribes to sacrifice part of the land that was already allotted to them for these tribes. If that land is defiled, come on back. Oh, that's the way to confront someone else. To be ready. To offer of yourself. And even make sacrifices that they would not continue going down that path of compromise. Come back. Just don't compromise and be like them. What if helping someone else means you giving something up? Would you do it? Would you be willing to sacrifice to help someone out so that they don't fall into compromise and sin? When we confront them, we should be willing and ready to do that. Achan was another example of rebelling against the Lord. His sin brought judgment upon his whole household after having kept something that was supposed to be devoted to destruction. It was a commandment of the Lord. Soldiers died, but so did, his, so did he and his whole family. Israel suffered. Again, we need to always keep in mind that our sin doesn't just impact us, but others also. And Phineas knew that, and he was making it very clear to the Israelites. Continuing on, verse 21. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said, In answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he, he knows. And let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Reuben, And people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar. 
not for a burnt offering nor for a sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we do perform the service of the Lord in His presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought, if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold, the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before His tabernacle. Oh. Oh. Right? They, they gave the explanation. We weren't actually going to sacrifice anything on this altar, Phineas. None of that. It's a copy of the altar to serve as a witness between us on this side and you on that side. To remind both sets of tribes that they both all together worship the same God and in the same place. That's what it's for. This was a misunderstanding that the eastern tribes were given the opportunity to clear up because they were confronted. Oh, man, too many things, too many assumptions, too many things are thought about other people. And it's not cleared up. You know why it's not cleared up? Because you don't pull a Phineas here. You, you, don't, you don't actually do what the Bible is telling you to do. If you have ought with your brother or sister, guess what you are responsible to do? Yep, get up and go. Go clear things up. Go confront them. But confronting is, is not a bad word. Because we're not confronting like this. Like that. We're, we're confronting in a different way. In a humble way. We're, we're communicating what the offense is. But at the same time, we're just sitting back and willing to listen. That's how we clear up misunderstandings. That's how we avoid allowing them to fester and create damage and destroy. But we should be willing to hear too. Both parties should understand the other's concerns and then mutually reconcile. Because really that's the purpose of confrontation. It's to be restored, to be reconciled. Oh, okay, there's understanding here. I, I understand. One or both need to concede there, there has to be some compromise, not as far as sin is concerned and the truth of, of, of God, but I'm talking about just the will of one person over the other. We shouldn't be exercising that. We should simply submit to the will of the Father, the will of the Lord, whatever it is that God's Word says, and the truth of the matter. So when it's explained to us, no, that wasn't my intention. Well, I, I just, I know it was. No, it, it wasn't my intention. We should just surrender. 
at that point, right? That's when you concede. That's when you say, oh, okay, you know what? I accept that. And I'm, I'm going to accept your word is true. And thank God for that. Praise God. There was a misunderstanding. These guys right here, they, they saw it. There's an altar there. You built it. Of course you built it to sacrifice on. No, we didn't. It was just for a witness between you and I. That's it. We serve the same God. Because I can just imagine, after having sacrificed for seven years, seven years, we fought side by side with you guys. We're not building this altar to sacrifice on. We're just building this as, as a witness so that to make sure that, that not only our generation, but genera- generations to come are not denied worshiping our God with you. We're all brothers and sisters. And so we, w- we want to be able to sacrifice and worship the Lord alongside you. That's all we were, we were making sure happens by this. Proverbs 18.17 says, The one who states his case first seems right, until the other comes and examines him. Remember that, all right? And by the way, don't be an ear that is quick to hear complaints. Otherwise, you're going to be that person that everyone comes to. And just, I just want to share my feelings with you. And you're going to be that person. Make sure that if, there, if, if you are that person, that you also tell them, go, go to that person. Go, go do what we just talked about here. Confront them. <laughs> you know, I'll be praying for you. And if you don't, I'm going to take you to that person. I'm going to have you confront them before me. You don't need to do that, but. We must be willing to state our case, but then we must also be willing to listen. And let's wrap up here. Verse 30. <clears throat> when Phineas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. They, he was afraid of judgment, right? It was a relief to Phineas. At that point, there's no more contention. The confrontation, oh, it, 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 it produced something really good. He was pleased, he was relieved to hear that these two and a half tribes had not actually rebelled against the Lord and acknowledged that the Lord, he was acknowledging that the Lord was in their midst. A unity in the Lord given to worshiping him in the same manner. Oh, we're of the same heart. Oh, that's wonderful. It was a misunderstanding. The Lord is with us. That's beautiful. Phineas, he he gloried in it. He gave God the praise. And that's what we ought to do every time we come to a place to where we realize, oh, we're on the same page. We're worshiping the same God. Let's keep moving forward. And then finally, verse 32. says, Then Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the priests and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and brought back word to them. 
And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel, and the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. And, and they could say it with, with one voice, the Lord is God. He is our God. We serve him together and in the same manner. And so, I just want to close with, I think, one of the things that was definitely emphasized in our study this evening, and that is how to confront. How to confront. And, and I, I love how it was that um, David Guzik had, um, had just made these bullet points as far as how to confront in, in regard to this, this section of Scripture. One of the things that he pointed out is to respond with a concern for God's holiness. That's, that needs to be first and foremost. Respond with a concern for God's holiness. Not your pride. Not anyone else's pride. Not to prove someone else wrong. But respond first and foremost with a concern for God's holiness. Secondly, respond with the courage to confront in love. Respond with the courage, and that does take courage to confront with love and, and with an attitude of love. You can tell when someone when someone confronts you and, and is aggressive, then it's like uh, you already have your your wall up, right? It's like it's tough to receive from someone who comes at you, but if you have someone who comes to you in love. Listen, I don't know if this, if you come this way, I don't know if this is true or not true. I'm not sure. This is how I perceive this. But I just want to bring something to your attention. Oh, it's, a, it's much different. Instead of coming just accusing, right? You this and you that. And it's like, okay. It takes a lot of humility on the other party's part to, to receive something like that. But the Lord can still work through that. But respond with the courage to confront in love. Respond also with an attempt to reconcile before you fight. So don't be ready to do that. But just, you want to restore. You want to, that's the purpose of it, to reconcile. Just always keep that in mind. Determine that you're willing to sacrifice to help them. Don't confront unless you're willing to help. Ooh. So that means you're willing to, to give of yourself. Sacrifice a bit of yourself. Also determine that you will see the situation from the perspective of the other person. It, it, that's, that's one of the toughest things to do. To put yourself in their shoes and see things through their eyes. Sometimes we, we need to also concede, wow, you know what? Given the circumstances, I see why it is that you're feeling the way you're feeling. I'm so sorry. You, know, you were asking for an apology. You might end up apologizing. Because you realize, well, you know, I, I see it. Be willing to see th- things through their eyes. And lastly, determine that you will believe the best of one another. That is important. Otherwise, we're condescending, we're critical, we're judgmental, and we're condemning. And we shouldn't be that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these are your characteristics that we're talking about as far as being long-suffering, being patient, being merciful, being graceful. Lord, thinking the best of others, 
Lord, in fact, you thought so much of us that you sent your son to to be sacrificed on the cross, to shed his blood on our behalf. That's how much you love us. And so may that be what's expressed in our own lives, that you would be blessed and honored, glorified, praised with our very lives, that we would truly live lives that reflect your character and bless and glorify you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We take it to heart. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand it and, um, and to walk it out in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.